God, we are not all that different from the Magi of long ago because we search for meaning, for hope, for love, for joy, for light shining that pierces the darkness. As that star shone in the distant sky and set their feet to moving and their hearts to racing, so we long to be as they were, people whose vision is set aglow by the heavenly light reflected in our eyes. God, your coming to this world in the gift of a child born in a manger bears witness to your traveling mercies for our world. And we need that star to shine again, to set our hearts to hoping and our minds to imagining and our spirits to loving. We need the star's light empowering us beyond hostility and toward peace. We need the star's light encouraging us beyond exclusivity and toward compassion. We need the star's light inspiring us beyond knowing and toward wisdom. We need the star's light enthralling us beyond certainty and toward mystery. We too are travelers along life's path, rocky and uncertain at times, frightening and unknown on occasion. Yet, as you have been, so you continue to be. Whether a cloud or a pillar of fire or a star's glow that no darkness can ever extinguish, you who have come to us with your traveling mercy now bid us to travel mercifully toward you and with you and for one another. So grant us courage and grant us joy for these days, for it is in the spirit of the light of the world, Jesus the Christ, that we live and move and have our being.
witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road.
language is not static. New words come into our vernacular, old words fall out of use or develop additional meanings over time. A few recent additions to our lexicon include doggo, meaning dog, cromulent, meaning acceptable, and grammable, meaning suitable for posting on Instagram. Joanne Post reminds us Merriam-Webster is not the only source for new words. She recalls the radio call-in show Car Talk, in which Tom and Ray Magliozzi, better known as Click and Clack the Tappet Brothers, would dispense advice about car maintenance. Whether or not their advice was sound, their humor was entertaining. They, too, would submit new words for our consideration, including the following. Inoculate, <laughs> meaning to consume coffee intravenously. <laughs> Giraffiti, meaning vandalism spray-painted very high. I know, you have to think about it, <laughs> or not. Uh, and stupiphany, meaning to suddenly realize you have been an incredible dolt. <laughs> well, now we're in the ballpark. That's a word we can use, stupiphany is grammable. <laughs> Now, if we're willing to have a little more fun with words, maybe take a little poetic license, we can modify click and clack's stupiphany to stupephany, as in to stupefy, meaning to amaze or astonish, which puts us squarely into the season of epiphany and the story of the Magi. The journey of the Magi is, at so many levels, our journey. Luke and Matthew do more than give us the wondrous birth story, each gospel providing unique perspectives, not only about that holy night, but also some of the backstory that leads to the birth of Jesus. After Jesus is born, Luke gives us the beautiful story of Simeon and Anna meeting the infant Jesus, which is a tender and joyous story. And Matthew gives us the Magi, and it's a critical story. If for no other reason than it can help keep the post-Christmas blues at bay. Maybe we've all been feeling a little let down at some level. There's the big buildup. The gathering of friends and family, the lights and the music, the worship and the presence, and then the what now of Christmas afternoon or the next day. W.H. Alden in For the Time Being, a Christmas Oratorio, describes this feeling very well when he wrote these words. Well, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree. There are enough leftovers to do, warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much appetite, having drunk such a lot, stayed up late, attempted quite unsuccessfully to love all of our relatives, 
and in general, grossly overestimated our powers. So we need the Magi. Because their story reminds us that when it comes to Christmas, it's not over. It's only beginning. One of the writers for this year's Advent Book of Devotions that the church publishes comments on traveling, saying that as a young child, he was not thrilled with having to get in the car for a long drive to relatives shortly after opening presents at home. But then somewhere along the way, it dawned on him that, quote, as a traveler, he was acting out a big part of the Christmas story, that almost everyone in the Christmas story is a traveler. In many ways, the story depends on travel. Traveling isn't some accidental element of the Christmas story. It's at the heart of it. All of us are travelers. We can't help it. We move through time. We stand on a planet that spins from day into night and moves us through the cosmos relentlessly. Is it possible, he asks, that many travelers in the Christmas story are a reminder that we cannot travel away from connection with God or God's love any more than Mary or Joseph or the Magi or the shepherds could. Christmas, as our Advent book writer and the Gospels of Luke and Matthew attest, sets us on a journey that we would not have otherwise taken a quest that may well take us in a new direction. But for all the characters on the move, it's the Magi's move that comes closest to our story. When it comes to the actual story, we have actually imagined more than Matthew's Gospel tells us. What crash or painting does not include three Magi? Although Matthew mentions only three gifts, not three people. Kings they've been called, but they were not that. More likely astrologers who kept their eyes on the night skies to discern from the heavens about any earthly happenings. Names they did not have in Matthew's story, although Longfellow humanized them with names. And that's always helpful to remember all people have names, whether we know them or not. See, it's one thing to name a category, like magi or astrologer. Quite another thing to say Gaspar, Balthasar, and Melchior. Even 2,000 years of handling have stretched the facts available when Matthew wrote of this journey. Yet there is something in us that knows it's a deeply true story. Because we're all travelers. And we are all in search for what matters most in life. And we, like these ancient magi, know that what happened in Bethlehem still has the power to set our feet moving in a new way. Something beyond them and something beyond us is still calling. And that's why this birth is a stupephany. Because we're astonished. 
And we're amazed by this story, especially as told in Matthew's gospel, who, despite his focus on the lost sheep of the house of Israel, expands beyond that circle. With the journey of the Magi, the festival of Epiphany, as the church has celebrated, Matthew's gospel proclaims how far God's good news is willing to go beyond the presumed borders and the limitations. In fact, when it comes to Christmas and Epiphany, God works outside the margins and extraneous to the elite. A young girl and an older carpenter. Shepherds who were socially and economically marginal. Bethlehem, a little town so unimportant that when Herod called his own historians to check out the Magi's claim about a star heralding a new king, they reported that an obscure prophet named Micah made a passing remark a long time ago, but it no longer seemed likely, much less a threat. And now the Magi themselves. They are Gentiles in a Jewish story. Persians are Arabs in the company of Hebrew parents and a little baby still in cloth diapers. Seriously? This is how God decides to be among us? Is it any wonder we need new words? As the story goes, when the Magi park their camels on Mary and Joseph's front doorstep and knock before entering, she lets them in. It's an act of hospitality that we would not miss. For in so doing, Mary allows something of the world into their lives. It is in the brilliant writing of Matthew a foreshadowing of the journey life with Jesus will take. This movement of God in the baby from Bethlehem, this star in the night sky, this welcome by Mary, heralds the God who is moving beyond previously understood notions of what it means to be chosen, to be loved, to be worthy, to be redeemed. Now, years before, Isaiah had anticipated God's trajectory, that all the nations would come to God's light, even the regal drawn beyond their own shining crowns to bow in the soft glow of love's shining light. And Matthew's magi proclaim Isaiah's vision was happening then. And our own hearts tell us it can still happen now. This past year, when Queen Elizabeth died, hundreds of thousands waited for more than a day to pay their respects. It was a touching scene as people, in one way or another, bowed. It is a reminder that there is a necessary place for reverence in life. The Magi, 
Among their odd and impractical gifts for a little one, give us the most important gift of all when they bowed. King James is dramatic, writing that the Magi fell down and worshipped him. The NRSV is a bit more tame, but no less important, saying the Magi knelt down and paid him homage. It's with joy the Magi bow before this baby, but not before Herod, the credentialed king they had met earlier. Liddy Barlow writes, there's still somehow a longing to bow down. The example of the Magi shows that we need not kneel to those in formal power. We need not honor their sneering corruption and their murderous envy. But we also need not dispense with deference altogether. With exceeding joy, we can bow before the presence of the divine wherever it is found. We pay homage before signs of God's love and evidence of God's work. We can honor what is holy and good. Well, to be sure, as inheritors of the Protestant faith, we are hesitant to bow down to much of anything. But neither let us lose the search for the Holy One who is apt to appear in as unlikely a place as a humble dwelling in a small town. The Magi are gifting us with their reverence for the Holy One who is in the midst of the world. And this world of disrespect and disregard could use a healthy dose of holy respect and sacred humility. Well, 2,000 years hence, we know what the Magi were only beginning to know, what was revealed in a dream to them, that having seen this child, their lives no longer made sense the way Herod made sense of life. They're traveling. Their faith bore witness to the one who, as John Buchanan wrote, would shatter religious tradition and ethnic boundaries and bring strangers center stage. Before the story is over, Jesus will challenge boundaries of race, social class, status. He will welcome outsiders, sinners, the unclean, lepers, tax collectors, poor people, women, children, Roman soldiers, and share meals with them. Jesus will scandalize some with his radical inclusivity. Apparently, Jesus did not know or care about the function of a religion to define insiders and outsiders. Instead, Jesus will fling open the doors. As our Advent book writer so cleverly concludes, enjoy your Christmas travels, even if they don't take you past your front door. Mary, in this story, never traveled past her front door. 
but a whole new world was opened to her. And the Magi, upon crossing that threshold, would never again be tempted by Herod's imposing gateway. Instead, they gave more than their gifts. Indeed, they gave their lives to this one who took them in an entirely new direction. This one, born to refugee parents, announced to shepherds in a field, and gifted by Gentile magi from a far country. This is the one who is good news for all people, the one who is for us. And when we say us in the spirit of Christmas, there's no longer them. To this one, we are invited on the forever adventure of gifting life with our acts of nurture and care, with our works of justice and kindness, with our efforts of goodness and respect. In fact, it is such an important way to travel that perhaps we can petition Merriam-Webster or maybe click and clack and come up with a new word for our lexicon. Let's call it Epiphagifting. gifting. <laughs>